Welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. She has been stuck in a cave more than once. Hello, welcome to episode number five. So we'll be talking about uh, regulating emotions today, emotion management, um, which is a really important topic. It's important for sleep and it's very important for your child's development as well. Um, my apologies, I'm overcoming a cold again, <laughs> so I hope you don't hear it in my voice. Um, and sorry if you do. Um, yeah, so in the introduction, it mentioned that I've been stuck in a cave more than once. Um, this is one of my favorite pastimes from when I was a child in Scouts and Venturers. Um, I remember one of the first times we went into a cave, the, um, the leader said that they were going to turn off all the lights and that there would be absolutely no light. No matter how long we sat there, our eyes would not be able to see anything because it was completely dark. And they said that to be able to sit there comfortably in that sort of environment, we needed to be absolutely comfortable with ourselves. Um, and that lesson's really stayed with me since then. I remember I used to love those times in the caves with no lights. Um, and I think that's because I was completely comfortable with who I was and how I was feeling. And that is, I guess, the goal that we're aiming for with our children as well, is to get them completely comfortable with themselves and um, their emotional states um, such, such that they can stay calm um, in those sorts of, sorts of uh, otherwise potentially scary situations. Okay, so one of the big issues with trying to get um, children to sleep, um, I remember one of the things I found hardest was through that period where when you put your baby down for a sleep, um, they could be completely calm in your arms, but as soon as you put them down, then they're screaming. Um, so the advice to put your baby down sleepy but awake was really, really hard to achieve given that you could do sleepy but awake in your arms, but as soon as you put them in their cot, no matter how sleepy they were in your arms, they they are awake and screaming. Um, so I think this emotion management is is really a big part of that learning to self-settle and what we're trying to teach our children. Um, so this is the first of a series of emotion management um, and sleep podcasts. Um, I, I think I'll just do two at the moment and probably do some more in the future. Um, so babies need to develop a range of skills to learn to fall asleep by themselves. One important skill is to regulate their emotions such that they can calm down enough to sleep. Emotion management and ability to, to settle and resettle to sleep are strongly intertwined. Um, so there have been studies on this and they've found it goes both ways. So poor sleep leads to poor emotion management. I think we're all very familiar with that side of things. Um, and the inability to manage emotions can also disrupt sleep. Um, so I guess we're sort of familiar with that too, like when you're excited about something you can't sleep because you're too excited or too worried. So it does go both ways. Okay, so step one. Um, so I'm not sure whether you've noticed, but I am actually um, going through the actual post on my blog site here um, in audio version. So if you prefer audio, then this is the place to be. And if you prefer text, then you can go to the website. Um, so the URL for this one will be www.practicalresearchparenting forward slash emotion. 
So forward slash emotion for this one. Okay, so step one in emotion management is learning to interpret our emotions. Um, for a very young baby, all of these emotions are probably, well, they're, they're all unknown. They certainly don't have labels for them. They don't have labels for many things. Um, and so that, that makes them a whole lot scarier. Um, I'm not sure. I, I remember as a teenager, have, and even as an adult, um, having times when I, I was feeling upset, but I didn't know why. And I, that is really hard. Um, so being able to give our children labels and an understanding of how these emotions occur and what's causing them. Um, and yeah, just sort of acknowledging them and giving them a label can be a really important step. So babies and toddlers look to their parents to help them interpret and learn to respond to ambiguous emotions. Um, so this tendency tends to appear um, and gra- develop gradually from about six months of age, and it peaks around twelve months of age, or just after, or just after twelve months of age. Um, so a classic study showed that when unsure about crossing a perspex cliff, so if you're not familiar with that, that's basically it looks like a cliff, but because it's made of glass. So basically crawling across glass um, with a long way to the bottom. So they found when babies were 12-month-old babies were approaching a cliff like this, um, they looked to their mothers and they didn't cross if their mother showed fear. Um, They rarely crossed if their mother showed anger, um, but they were quite likely to cross if their mother showed interest. Um, so this showed that the children are, are looking to their mothers to um, gauge whether something is dangerous or not and what, what they should do in an ambiguous situation. So this is called social referencing and it applies to a lot more than just physical danger. Um, for example, five and eight-year-olds, um, children's desire to eat disliked foods increased when that food was displayed with a picture of someone enjoying eating that food. Um, so it applies to what you eat as well. Um, anxiety about novel objects can also be learned from a parent's emotional reaction. Um, so our children, especially during this um, six-month to 12-month age range and beyond, um, a little bit beyond, um, are looking to us to see how our emotions, our emotional displays, and they use that to determine um, how they should react to different things in their environment. Um, so social referencing, which is what this is called, occurs predominantly when there is some ang- ambiguity. Um, so you can see this in action when babies and toddlers fall. If they hurt themselves, they cry immediately um, and then they look to their parents for help. If they're not really hurt but a little bit surprised, they'll tend to look to their parents and then cry only if the parents express concern. Okay, so what does this have to do with sleep? So interpreting emotions and sleep. Um, Social referencing is likely to apply to putting your baby down for a sleep. Um, The sensation of being put down, physically put in their cot, um, would probably include a gradual falling sensation, a loss of multiple comforts such as the warmth of your hug, the secure restriction of a hug, and the parental smells and sounds. So if your baby doesn't immediately decide that this is a negative sensation – Um, which they may well, and I'm sure both of mine did quite frequently, Um, they may look up at you to interpret whether these sensations are threatening. Um, So if you show concern, um, they may may then feel threatened and get upset. Um, So I'm not sure 
if you felt it, but I know when it was difficult to get Xander and Beth down during this period where putting them in their cot was the time when they'd absolutely scream blue murder, then I found it very difficult to keep a very calm face because this for me was the um, worrying time of will they cry or not. Um, so trying trying not to feel that and trying not to show that particularly is a, is a good step. Um, so showing only happy confidence when you put your baby down is easier said than done, um, especially when you're dead tired or need your baby to sleep time to complete a thesis, which is uh, what I did last year, um, which was made it very hard to seem relaxed. Um, so a strategy I found really helpful is having plans A, B, C, D, and E ready to go. Um, and as much as possible, I tried to make those plans fit my baby's needs as well as my needs. So if my needs was to do a thesis, then I'd try to make the plans B, C, D, and E things where I could be somehow thinking about my thesis or at least progressing in my mind um, and knowing what the next step would be when I finally got to sit down at my computer. Um, So as a rule of thumb, the steps progress from least to most effort and least to most likelihood of success. Um, So basically plan A is very hands-off. It's baby in their cot falling asleep, which is great. Um, And Plan A is what works for me most of the time now, which is nice. Um, Plan B was usually rocking um, or some sort of physical intervention. Plan C was often going for a walk, that sort of thing. Um, And if I was going for a walk, that would be an opportunity for me to think um, or catch up on podcasts, that sort of thing. Um, So that way that helped to relax me because I didn't really expect or rely on plan A working. I didn't feel trapped into plan A. Um, and so I was much more relaxed when implementing it. So when Beth was three months old, um, what I was, my plans A through D then, um, plan A was that I'd put her in her cot, sleepy but awake and she'd fall asleep. Um, that very rarely happened, but it was always what I tried first. Um, so I'd put her in a cot, sleepy but awake, wrap her, pat her if I needed to, and then head out. If she cried for a little while, then I'd go back in and I'd pat her and then I'd go back out. If she wasn't settling to that, um, then I'd pick her up and I'd rock, hug her, rock her, bounce her, that sort of thing until she was calm. Then I'd put her back down, pat her, and then leave the room. Um, and if that's th- if that was getting easier and easier each time, then I'd just sort of continue that cycle. Um, but if it was getting harder and harder each time, then I'd revert to plan C, which was to go back to plan A and then B. Um, so I'd actually put her back in the carrier again and rock her till sleepy and then put her in a cot, sleepy but awake. Um, yeah, so plan plan A was in the carrier. Plan B was picking her up and rocking her without the carrier and putting her back down. Um, plan C was cycling through plan A and B, so getting her calm in the carrier again. And then plan D was, well, this is just not working, so I'd resign myself to putting Beth down asleep. Um, um, so I'd go for a walk with Beth in the carrier and or I'd feed her to sleep. And sometimes that would still result in screaming and then I'd revert um, again to plan A and plan B and go through the cycle again. 
So for the majority of naps, I succeeded after just plans A and B. So I had her in the carrier and then I'd hug her and put her down and I'd maybe have to pick her up and hug her a couple more times before she fell asleep. But usually I didn't have to get to plan C, which was putting her in the carrier a second time. Um, Usually I stuck to the planned order, but again, I also referred to my mother's instinct. Um, And if she was sounding really, really distressed and like I, like she wouldn't settle, um, then I might feed Beth at any point in that, in that sequence, if she seemed to be getting overly worked out. Um, so that's just about the end of this episode. Um, so please post your plans A, B, C, and D, um, in the comments to this episode, um, and with the age of your baby, cause I'm sure there are many different routines you go through. Um, there's also an app that provides age-appropriate plans, which is called Rockabub um, for iPhone and Android. Um, but it is really just these sort of series of plans like this um, of the many steps you do, um, which often you might actually be better off coming up with your own because that way you can figure out what will meet your goals as well as your baby's goals. Um, for example, there were nights when my goals were to get the washing up done or the cooking done or that sort of thing. Um, so having Beth in the carrier more often than not was a, a good plan um, because that worked for me in terms of getting done what I needed to get done and worked for Beth because she loved the carrier. Um, so, yeah, coming up with a, a series of steps that work for you and your baby um, is a good way to go. Um, so if you want to go to my website, I also have a list of emotion management resources, um, and other subscriber only resources. Um, so please consider signing up for those. Um, also something exciting that I was just part of was we were doing a series on resilience. So I got together with mental health professionals from around the world, which was really exciting, really great to make some connections online. Um, so these are other like-minded people with, with blogs and, we all wrote about um, raising resilient children. Um, So if you're interested in that, um, please do check that out too. I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, So again, for those show notes, you can go to www.practicalresearchparenting forward slash emotion. Thank you very much. And I'll see you next week or next time um, for another bout of emotion management. Thank you. Bye.